All right. If you have your Bibles here this morning, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I appreciate you coming to church this morning. I appreciate you, your prayers and your giving. appreciate your faithfulness. I appreciate your love for Jesus. I appreciate your desire to serve the Lord. I really do. We're living in the last days and apostasy has taken over our land and our churches. And it's just refreshing to see folks who still want to come to church, still want to serve God. But not more than that, they want to hear the Word of God. Amen. And I appreciate you so much. It just seems to be the dying breed of those who want to come to church and hear the Word of God. A lot of people just want to come to church. They don't care about hearing the Word of God. But I appreciate you wanting to hear the Word of God. It motivates me. It moves me. It encourages me. As I study and prepare for these messages, I'm thinking about you and thinking about what God would have us to bring. And so here this morning in the way of the Word of God, 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 4. And as we stand to our feet here one more time this morning, uh, we'll read down to verse 14. I want to preach on a thought this morning, believing and behaving. Believing and behaving. They go together. Believing and behaving. We find in verse 4 in saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, uh, of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the whereby the world, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, are, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein in the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you might be found in of him in peace without spot and blameless. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We thank you for the truth that's already been given to us in the way of song and Sunday school and now reading of the scripture there in Revelation and here this morning out of Second Peter. I pray, God, that you'd help us to gather our thoughts and God help us to understand and Make clear, dear God, and receive the things of God. We pray, Lord, that this is a holy book. God, talking about a holy God. And we pray, Father, us that are holy this morning would receive the holy things of God. God, do something real special, dear God, in our hearts and our minds today. Father, I pray, Lord, that the Word of God would come alive. God, it would be active. God, it would be powerful. God, it would even pierce, dear God, the soul and the Spirit. God, even the discerner this morning, dear God, down in the marrow of the bones, Father, the intents, dear God, of the heart. Father, and the, I pray this morning, dear God, that you do a mighty work in every soul here this morning. Changes for, the, for God's glory. Lead and guide the service here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So believing is behaving. If I would say to you, I love you, and I believe that I love you, then my behavior would demonstrate that I love you. 
If I would say I don't like that individual or that individual gets on my nerves or that individual is really uh, really just someone that I don't want to be around, I would think what you think that your behavior would identify that. You've been in a relationship and all of us has, I'm sure, and, and somebody might come to you, are you mad at me? You say, why? Why do you think I'm mad at you? Oh, because your behavior is demonstrating that something just isn't right. And so I would have to say this morning that your believing is, is directly connected to your behavior. If you believe something, then your behavior will always identify or demonstrate what you believe. Amen? That's right. So you can't say, I love God and then live like the devil. You can't say that I obeyed God's word and then live a contrary to it because your believing and your behaving does not match. Right. And so as we would go in life, we would always know that in life living, it would always demonstrate the way you're living, the way you're the behaving is what you're believing. Uh-huh. Right? right? I love church. Guess what you do? You come. I love my wife. I love my husband. What do you do? You provide and protect and show forth these truths in which you believe. I believe that uh, I am a policeman or I believe that I am a lawyer. I believe I am a doctor. Well, then your behavior is going to to parallel what you're believing. Well, I want to say this morning, if you really believe what I just read, out of 2 Peter chapter 3, and that is someday, one day, this whole thing is going to burn up. Then your behavior today would identify that. Uh Amen? And so if whatever you believe, if you say, well, I don't know if I believe that one day this world is going to burn down and burn up. And all the works in it, like this church and this pew and this house and all these trees and and your house and all these businesses and all of the fourth largest city of the United States of America, Houston, Texas, do you know one day there will be nothing? It will be all burned up and burned down. All your money, all your banking institutions, all your inventions and all that you do at work and how so important the house is and how so important the car is and how so important all these things in the world is. One day, someday, every single thing that you have seen and looked upon and enjoyed will be burned up. Now, if you believe that, be careful now. Because when you believe that, there's going to come an obligation that you've got to behave that. So that's what I want to preach this morning. If you really believe what I just read, then you're really going to behave just what I read. And I want to show you number one this morning in the way of, of believing and behaving. I want you to notice the ignorance of man. The ignorance of men. Now there may be some in here this morning, you're just ignorant. Now, don't get mad. Just get more wise. I mean, don't get mad at me because I said you're ignorant. Or don't get mad at God because he said you're ignorant. Uh, just change. Right. Amen. Don't get mad. Don't get angry and walk out of here and be frustrated and aggravated because Brother Larry said that you're ignorant or God's word said you're ignorant. Uh, just don't be ignorant. Right. I mean, that's just pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how many people, friend, uh, whenever they just are ignorant people and they keep on being ignorant and they're always ignorant and they're going to continue to be ignorant, why are you doing that? Right. So we find here in the Scripture a couple times the Bible has said about the ignorance of man. He says there in verse, uh, verse 5, he says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. And then it says in verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And so in verse 8, he's talking about Christians. And there in verse 5, he's talking about lost people. And so in both stages, lost or saved, you could be ignorant. 
And the Bible saying, don't be ignorant. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost this morning, just don't be ignorant. And so we want to notice the ignorance of man first before we get into the intelligence of God. Uh, but I want you to notice there in this verse of 5, the Bible says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. What are they ignorant of? Well, the Bible tells us that the Word of God, that by the Word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In other words, what they're saying is, what God's trying to say is, don't be ignorant that God's Word has created the heavens and the earth. It was by the word of God that God created all that we see and all that we have. We find that in Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn back just a few chapters in chapter 11 of Hebrews and look in verse 3. The Bible says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that they which were seen were not made of things which do appear. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, Genesis chapter 1 and so many other places in the Bible just tells us that what we see today in the way of animals, of the way of trees, the way of mountains, of the way of all that's been created, stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, uh, we can just go on and on and on this morning, but we just want to make sure that we know that we cannot be ignorant of that the word of God is what has created the heavens and the earth. That's what created it. Not evolution, not a big bang theory, uh, not something that happened uh, billions of years ago, uh, something that happened you know, uh, some lifetime ago that we can't explain it. No, none of that's true. Don't be ignorant. It was in Genesis, amen, in uh, chapter 1, uh, we, find, uh, we find that there was God created the heaven and the earth in the beginning and then he took the five or six days that he created all things about 6,000 years ago and then on the seventh day he rested from all that he created. That's how long everything's been here. How long has everything been here? Almost 6,000. Right. Then why does people say that I found a tooth? I found a hair of, that was a billion years old because they're ignorant. They're ignorant. All creation, Genesis chapter 1. And what is it? 2024. When did Jesus come? Around 2000, amen? 2000 years ago. And then what happened before then? Uh, there was a 4,000 year uh, before zero was 4,000 years. Abraham. Back into Moses. Back on to the, Adam. Back into creation. It goes about 6,000 years. That's it. And so we find God is saying that through his word, let there be light, there was light. Amen. And let there be moon, and there was moon. And let there be sun, and there was sun. Right. And let there be a, a fruit, and there was fruit. And let there be a tree, there was tree. Let there be man as he breathed into the nostrils of man became a living soul. Out of man came woman out of the rib of a man now called Adam and Eve. And all other things and every other thing that's ever, ever been created has been spoken into existence by God. Right. And we got to get that this morning. We can't be ignorant. Right. If you think in evolution, you're ignorant. Right. If you think Big Bang, you're ignorant. If you think any other way that all this has come to be except through the very word of God and through the breath of God, the creation of God, you're just an ignorant individual. Right. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to be biblical. Right. And so this morning we find, he says, to those that are lost, for this they willingly are ignorant of. By the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. We see number two now. Then only does the word of God create the heavens and the earth, but we notice the word of God controls the heaven and the earth. We see in verse 5 and verse 6 that the overflow with water. Now, who was it the one who created the water? That was God. And so let's think about it for just a moment because we don't want to be ignorant this morning. And so God created 
the seas. In the seas, you take maybe like the Pacific. We'll take the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we'll take the Mediterranean. All about those seas has something all common, salt water. So God created the seas salt water. But there is streams and there are waters that are flowing from all over coming to the seas, to the ocean, right? That's fresh water. So you got fresh water and you got salt water. Now who did all that? God did that. And he all made it where all the rain that would come down is flowing down and filling up the creeks and filling up the valleys and filling up all the places because there's other animals and there's other usages for all that water that's needed and necessary for all of everything else that God's created for them to drink. Man, magnificent. So now we find the seas. Now, the seas have been in boundaries, right? I mean, you got, the, for example, the Gulf of Mexico. If you go to Galveston, you'll find that that, that sea will run up onto the, the bank and it'll go back. You ever notice that? Run up, go back. I'm 62 years old. I don't know if mom and daddy ever took me down to the beach when I was two years old, but I promise you that sea was doing the same thing. And when they were two years old, it was doing the same thing. And when their grandma and grandpa was two years old, it was doing the same thing. It's been like that for a long time. Now, who made it that way was important. God said, I create salt water. I create a fresh water and salt water. You're going to be in the boundaries of this here. Now, every once in a while, I'll bring a storm and throw you out. But that'd just be every once in a while. But you go right back to the boundaries, right? I mean, I have these creeks. I have these places where water comes down. And you're going to stay with them every once in a while. I might bring a little bit more water than it should come. And it might go over banks, but it's going to go back into the banks. He's telling us right here in the day of Noah, he says, verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. We saw that God set the boundaries for all the water, and then God orders the waters out of the boundaries. He says, I have created the waters, and now I tell the waters, hey, waters, talking about the days of Noah. Hey, waters, I want you to come out of your boundaries. I order you, I command you to come out. And all of a sudden, water began to beget water. I mean, if the Gulf of Mexico is there today and all these years it just went up and went its boundaries, and all of a sudden it reached Houston, where did all that water come from? I mean, you know, water just don't beget water. It's not like... The rest of us, so God said, okay, I'll order and demand you that you come out. And next thing you know, all the water was coming out. The water was already created was coming out, filling up the world. Then water from underneath were coming up. Water from the top coming down. Water's everywhere. There was, so in the days of Noah, the water was rising, right? How did that happen? i tell you how it happened. God created the water, but God commanded the water. And next thing you know, everybody but Noah and his crew perished. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of this. We find that God, through his word, controls the heavens and the earth. And then when after that Noah... On the ark, looked out, saw, the Bible says the water receded. Now, who caused the water to recede? God. So here's the water. Where did it go? Went back in its boundaries. It went back where it's always been when it was created. And we find that God not only created those waters, but God commanded those waters that were in the boundaries. He said, come out of the boundaries. Then after, after the job was done, you go back into your boundaries. And the Bible says, because of that, there were many that perished. So God, the Word of God, created the heavens and earth. The Word of God controls the heavens and earth. But then verse 7, I want you to notice that the Word of God collects the heavens and earth. 
the Bible says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, now, not back then in Noah's day, not back then in Adam's day, not back then in Moses' day, but now. He said, now, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word. Now, let's get this. If we really believe that God, by His Word, created everything, we believe that. Right. Number two, and then by that, that, that Word, He took and that water that He created, He said, stay in your bounds, come out of your bounds, go back in your bounds. And the world perished in the days of Noah. The Bible's telling us that that same Word that created and controlled is the same word that has now collected the heavens and the earth. That same word. If we believe that he created everything and we believe that he commanded what he created to destroy the world by the way of flood, then we're going to have to come to the place to say that I also believe that this heavens and that earth now, by his same words, has preserved. The Bible says, by the same word, had kept. Kept in store. That word kept in store, it means to lay up or treasure up. Stay with me now. So the same word that he spoke all things into existence, and the same word that he said, go out of the boundaries that I put you in, water, and destroy the world by water, and perishing of many people, that same word I now have kept, I have treasured up, I have kept in store, what did you keep in store, O oh God? I kept in store the heavens and the earth. God has collected it. That same word, he said in verse 7, he said, Now I have I preserved the heavens and the earth, but now I have reserved the heavens and earth. In verse 7 he says, Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. And so what are we learning this morning? We're learning that as God created everything, and then he commanded what he created to destroy everything. And now he has preserved the heaven and earth, what we see now, and one day reserve it for fire. That's God. God's going to burn it up. And it's going to be reserved for fire. Now, do we believe that it happened with water? Yes. Do we happen? Do we believe that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth? Amen. And then we have to believe that that same word he has now collected. In other words, he's reserved and now he's preserved for fire. Amen. That's right. Or you're ignorant. So we find this morning that God is kind of putting us into a place is, are you going to believe? And if you and I believe this morning that someday, one day, that God has reserved and preserved what we see today to go up in fire, it ought to change our behaviors. It ought to make us live different. We find the Bible says in verse 7, reserved unto fire under fire against the day of judgment. So there's going to be a judgment by fire, according to the Scripture. It's going to be a destruction by fire. There's going to be a damnation by fire. And what's going to be, damna- what's going to be damned? What is it going to be? The perdition of ungodly men. Ungodly men. So you're saying, Brother Larry, on this day of judgment, there will be nobody here that will be saved. I'm saying, friend, there will be nobody here that is saved. 
because this judgment of fire that's going to come upon this earth, upon this heavens and this earth will be for the perdition of ungodly men. So we got to know we can't be ignorant of what ungodly men are. You say, well, ungodly men, they're in jails, they're in prisons. Ungodly men, I mean, they're already in the graves. Ungodly men, I mean, listen, surely uh, those ungodly men, they deserve this judgment, this fire, uh, this condemnation, uh, this damnation. But ungodly men mean this, godless men. If you're not saved this morning, you're godless. And you're ungodly. And this damnation and this fire and this judgment is just for you. Just for you and one day you'll find it. We find that a word godly or ungodly not only means godless men, but it means Christless men. Anyone and everyone here this morning who's without Christ is ungodly. You say, well, I got some good morals. Who cares? I've got some good attributes. We don't care. Well, I got some good skill and I got some good talent. Well, it doesn't matter. You say, well, you know, I love my family and I I love what I do. And, uh, you know, I I, want to be something one day. All that means nothing this morning. All that matters is, is the word ungodly. And there's a fire of judgment. And there's going to be a perdition of ungodly men coming under condemnation and damnation of God. And friend, I'm telling you this morning, if you are without God this morning, you're ungodly. If you are Christless this morning, you're ungodly. This fire this damnation, this judgment, you're going to face. If it happened in the days of Noah, and it did. And if it happened in the days of Genesis chapter 1, and it did. Then, buddy, you better believe it. You could take it to the bank. There's fire coming your way. And judgment is just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. We find this morning... Ungodly means Christless men. It means godless men. It means spiritless men. The spirit that don't dwell in you, the spirit that's not in you this morning, then you're ungodly. Don't think this morning because you go to church you're something. Don't think this morning because you got a Bible. Don't think this morning because all the people around you know the Lord. Don't think this morning that all things are well with you. If you are without God, without Christ, without His Spirit this morning, you are ungodly. We find here ungodly. What does that mean, though? It means irreverent. That's what ungodly means, irreverent. It means fearless. You're without fear. You don't care to, you don't have fear to die. You don't have no fear about God. You ain't got no fear about the judgment day. You ain't got no fear if you don't wake up tonight. Uh, If you fall asleep and you'll not ever come back again on this side, there's no fear of that. Listen, if you're lost without God in Christ and the Spirit this morning, and tonight you're going to go home and lay your head on your pillow, and you'll go right to sleep being lost without God. You don't have no fear at all that if you don't wake up, you're going to be in hell. Right. That's right. You're ungodly. How do you go to sleep? How do you get in a car and drive knowing that somebody could pull right in front of you or go head-on collision or somebody, Fred, could do something, you get in a car wreck and die? How do you even get in a car knowing that you could die in the car? No fear. No fear. Because, see, the last 30 years or the last 25 years or the last 40 years, you got up every morning. So you just figure in the morning you're going to get up again. But you know how many people don't get up in the morning? Thousands don't. I'm just saying this morning, ungodly is Christless and godless and spiritless, but it means irreverent. It means fearless. It means without all of worship. In other words, friend, if you in your heart just don't have that all for God, uh, that, that, that within my heart a hunger and a thirst for the worship of God, the service of God, to hear the songs that we sung, now, the songs that Brother George sung this morning. Have you ever heard them before? Mm-hmm. Them are very common songs that he just sung. 
I mean, we sing them often. Uh, we sing those more often than others. Those songs there have been sung more probably than any other time in my entire Christian life. Right. Those two songs he sung are always songs that are sung that are sung in church all the time, and yet, nevertheless, when you're saved, they still thrill your heart. They still do something within you. You're able to, to bellow out the things that are being sung. And it just gives you within a strength and a power to say, I'm in all of Jesus this morning. You come and hear the word of God. You probably read 2 Peter chapter 3 before. You probably have heard what I'm about to what I'm preaching this morning. But for those that are saved, this brother, this good word of God. Now to others, y'all are doodling around. If you had a piece of paper, you'd write on it. Right now your mind is somewhere else. Right now you, you're just kind of somewhere off somewhere. You kind of, I see you. You don't even look at the Bible. I ask you to look at the Bible. You don't look at the Bible. When I ask you to, to as I'm preaching to you, you're not looking at me. You're kind of off somewhere else doing all that. It's you. Right. It's you that has no awe of worship. Right. That means ungodly. Amen. You say, brother, you're trying to really hone it down. I am. I want those who are ungodly this morning get saved before this earth catches on fire. We find ungodly men, according to the scripture, are ignorant men. When I say men, I'm not talking about just the male. I'm talking about male and female. Mankind. If you're Christless and godless and you're spiritless this morning, you're irreverent and you're fearless and you have no all of worship of the Lord this morning, uh, you are an ignorant individual, according to Scripture. We find this morning that ungodly men are willingly ignorant. Look what it says in verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant. Now, what does willingly ignorant mean? Well, it means this. It means they desire to be ignorant. There's folks in this room right here, you have heard the gospel time, 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 and again. You've heard that you need to be born again. You've heard that you need to turn from your sin and by faith receive Jesus Christ. You have heard that you've got to lay down yourself and lift up Jesus. You have heard of how to be born again and fret you willfully or ignorant of it and you desire to be ignorant. You desire to walk out of here without the all of Jesus in your heart. You desire to walk out of here without the reverence of God and His Word. You desire to walk out of here not fearing death, not fearing hell, not fearing judgment, not fearing damnation, not fearing condemnation. Somehow, somewhere in your mind and heart, you've got yourself convinced and deceived that you can go on in life without Jesus Christ as the Lord of your King and your heart. Amen. And friend, you are willfully this means you desire to be that way. There ain't nothing I can say. There ain't nothing mom and daddy can say. There ain't nothing you and I can do. Hey, listen, we can lay them down and open their mouth and turn somehow, some way, take the King James Version Bible, turn it into liquid and pour it down them. Uh They would just regurgitate it up. That word willfully means desire. They desire to be ignorant. Number two, that word willful means they delight in being ignorant. That word willful, delight. In other words, you're in here and you're hearing the word of God and, and you del- when you walk out of here lost, you're delightful. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad I'm lost. I'm glad I'm going to hell. I'm glad one day I'm going to be cast into the lake of fire with the rest of these ungodly ignorant people. I'm delightful for that. I'm telling you, friend, if I had to walk out of here, I couldn't eat my lunch, could you? If I had to walk out of here, friend, I would have maybe a, a mile of, of surround of rubber around me just in case somebody might hit me. Amen. And when I go home, I would take so many no-dose and so many pills that I would never go to sleep so I'd never shut my eyes because I'm afraid if I don't wake up, I'm going to wake up in hell. I'd be scared to death drive, driving because somebody might shoot me by, by a drive-by. I've been going to the doctor every week. Give me a blood test, an examination. Make sure I ain't got no cancer. I ain't got no heart disease. I ain't got something that I'm going to die from. But you ain't none of that. You're just arrogant and ignorant. And you're willfully that away. 
You say, Brother Larry, you're trying to make me mad. Oh, I'm trying to make you mad to go to heaven. You say, Brother, what are you doing? I'm trying to push you away from hell. That's what I'm trying to do. Hey, listen, friend, if you get mad at me and you never talk to me again in your entire life and you go to heaven, amen, I take that. I take it. I'm just saying that word willfully means desire to be ignorant, delightful to be ignorant. And then it also means, thirdly, it means determined to be ignorant. Just determined. I'm going to be ignorant. Daddy and mama and preacher, they're not going to change me. I'm going to go to work ignorant. I'm going to raise my children ignorant. I'm going to go into workforce ignorant. I'm going to go to church ignorant. I'm going to have a wife ignorant. I'm going to have a husband ignorant. I'm going to go out in this world ignorant. I'm going to live ignorant. I'm going to die ignorant because I determined to be ignorant. Oh, my. This morning, the Bible says the ignorance of man. Number two, I want you to notice not only the ignorance of man but I want you to notice the intelligence of God. The intelligence of God. He says in verse 8, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I want you to notice the intelligence of God is seen in the period of time. God's saying that Two days, two days to us, but two days to God is different. Yes, that's right. We, we say to God time is short, right? To God time is short. The Bible says a thousand years is a day. And so if we look at a thousand years as a day and a thousand and a day is a thousand years, to God, it's only been two days. Since Jesus, right? Two days. It's been almost six days since creation. We know there's going to be another thousand year period, right? Millennial reign. That's seven thousands. That's the end of it. So we find in the mind of God, in the way of periods of time, to God, time is short. We're thinking, man, since Jesus has come, it's been about 2,000, it's 2,024. It's been about 2,000 years. God said, that's only two days, folks. Right. Yeah. Well, it's been 2,000 years. <laughs> two days. What you, what you all up and antsy about? God is trying to just show us, listen, it's been two days. I do a lot of things on the third day. But it's only been two days. And time, man's time, it's been long. Man, we've been waiting. You say, well, how do you know it's long? We'll look at verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. See those mockers, those ignorant people. uh, They say, man, it's been a long time. Nothing's changed. Nothing's ever been. Everything's the same. 2,000 years has almost gone by. And we still haven't seen his promise. And God says, verse 8, it's been two days. You know how people, when they talk, they over-exaggerate. You ever heard people do that? Like a, a, like a car drives by. Man, did you see that car out there? He was going 1,000 miles an hour. And they had that speaker, that, that, they had that loud as you can go on that radio, man, I'm telling you. And they were out there, were jamming, they were doing this, they were doing that, and all that. But you saw it, and all they was going by about 10 miles an hour. Right? Isn't that how it really works? No. You're at work and somebody says something, you, you hear about it, you go tell somebody, let me tell you what they said, and you're adding to it. You're adding to it. And then when that person goes back to us, hey, man, so-and-so said you said this. I didn't say that. I just said that. We always add. We always do. And so with God, he says it's only two days. Now, you guys, 2,000 years. So we find period, which is important, which is intelligence with God, isn't it? I mean, God, uh, God just has all the time in the world. He has. He wants, right? I mean, he's not in no hurry. 
What's God in a hurry for? He said, well, you know what? I'm 62 years old. I've done lived three quarters of my life. I could die in my 60s, my 70s, my 80s. And, you know, I don't have that much time long. He says, so? <laughs> I mean, you know, I already told you what's going to happen. Uh, you, re- you receive me as Lord and Savior. Because you receive me as Lord and Savior, you shall have eternal life. And so you're just going to live with me for all of eternity. Your body will turn back in the dust until I raise it up from the dead. And when I raise it up from the dead, I'm just going to give you a new glorified body so you and I can just worship all of the eternity of the days ahead. What's the problem? What's the problem? And so we find this morning the period of God is so intelligent. God is not on time schedule. So we think God's on a time schedule. Do you think God's on a time schedule when a thousand years is a day to him? No. No. God is not in a hurry. It's only been two days. God is not concerned in what time it is. Now, the reason why he gives us his word, because you and I need to be concerned about what time it is. But with God, it's not intelligence, isn't it? God would bring forth, he says, I'm not concerned about time, but you need to be concerned about time. I am eternity. You are not. I want you to notice not only the period, but I want you to notice his promise. He says in verse 9, talking about the intelligence of God, He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, what is a promise? It's a message. It's a pronouncement. He says, I'm not, the Lord is not uh, slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. In other words, God said, my message and my announcement about the fire, about the world and the heavens coming up in the flames is not delayed. That word, that word there where it talks about not slack means delayed. He says it's not delayed. And it also means it's not slow. And it means it's not tardy. He said, I want you to know in verse 9 that even though it's been about two days in my mind and 2,000 years in your mind, everything's just where it ought to be. But what you need to be concerned about, not the period of time, but you need to be concerned about the promise. That's what you need to hone in on. That promise, I said, I'm not slack concerning this promise. Promise. What's the promise? The promise is that the judgment is sure. You can bank it. You can know for sure that this heavens and this earth that you and I know now is going to burn up. That's a promise. That's sure. Number two, the promise of destruction will be real. Number three, the promise of damnation is clear. The world is coming under judgment. Every person will face judgment. And every sin will be judged. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment. Let's stop right there for a moment. We're talking about angels. Angels sinned. And guess what happened to angels? They got cast down into hell. But more than that, the Bible says that they are now reserved under judgment. Hell is not their judgment. That's where they were cast out. One day they're going to find this judgment worse than hell. So we find even the angels who sinned find the judgment of God. What do you think about our sin? You that are lost and you that are ignorant and you that want to move on and go on without God in your life and Christ as your Savior and the indwelling Spirit of God. Who do you think you are? God created the angels and they sinned and they faced judgment. Don't you think you would? We find here secondly, there in that verse 5, 
And God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly men. So God took the world and destroyed it by water. And no man, no telling how many people died that day, but you feel like you get a pass. Feel like you can go another day in your ungodliness. But God said, hey, the whole world died that day except eight people. So we found the angels sinned. They found judgment. We found the world sinned. They found judgment. Let's keep going. The Bible says there in verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that live that should live ungodly. So now we got Sodom and Gomorrah, a city, just an old city. They came up with ashes. They're at the bottom of the Dead Sea today. Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of ungodly. So we don't get a pass this morning, dear friend. If the angels sin and they find judgment, the world sinned and it found judgment in the way of water. Sodom and Gomorrah sinned and it found judgment by the way of fire. And God's given us promise that he has collected the heaven and the earth and that same word that he created it with and controlled it with is the same word that he's going to judge it by fire. You'll be scared to death. You'll be shaking in your boots. You'll be having a nervous breakdown right now. You'll be finding some kind of pill to help your anxiety. Man, listen, you'll be running out of the back door here. Or you'll be running down to the altar. But just sitting there is a little unusual. We find Jude 15, the book before Revelation. I'll read it to you. The Bible says to to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, of all their harsh speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Judgment. That's the promise. This world is going to face judgment. That's a promise. God says, I'm not slack concerning his promise, as some some men can count slackness, but you can just mark it down. The promise of God in his intelligence is he's going to destroy this earth, what we have now, and heaven by fire. It's a promise. Now I want you to notice number three, not only the period, but the promise, but I want you to notice the passion. Brother, Brother Keith mentioned this morning in the way of teaching grace. If this isn't grace, I don't know what grace is then. Here is He, God, giving us a passage of scriptures telling us that the same Word that created everything and the same Word that brought the water out of its boundaries to destroy the world, and this same Word is collecting or reserving or preserving this heaven and earth in which you and I live in today is going to be destroyed by fire. And then He gives us verse 9. He said, man, listen, in verse 8, don't worry about you thinking it's 2,000 years. To me, it's only two days. But just know this, that God's promise is not slack like men's slackness is. And then he brings grace. He said, man, I'm fixing, I'm going to destroy this place with fire. But before I do it, I want you to know something. But I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now listen, dear sinner friend, you ungodly man or woman, the ignorant one. We were all ignorant. We were all ungodly. We were all sinful and sinners. All of us were headed for a place called hell. But boy, it was until we realized that the promise was sure, the judgment was real, and the fire is coming. But verse 9 ought to break your heart. It ought to cause you to fall down on your knees and begin to cry out in repentance through a holy thrice God, 
asking for forgiveness and the pardon of your sins. Begging God that he would accept you into his beloved and make you a child of God. He said, in this passion he had. I want you to notice his waiting. He said, but is long-suffering toward usward. He's been waiting 2,000 years for you. You say, I'm not even that old, but that's how long he's been waiting. You say, I'm only 10 years old. I'm only 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. God's been waiting that long. Because you mark it down, this, this world in which we're going to live is going to be on fire and judgment is coming. But God's long-suffering with you. That's grace, Brother Keith. Long-suffering. How much longer will you wait? He's waiting on you. He said, I, I, I'm long-suffering. I'm waiting for you. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. But there's coming a day when the wait is over, isn't it? Yes. Nobody can wait forever. I mean, we find that in relationships. We find a relationship started and one of the individuals in the relationship goes wrong or goes bad. And the other one says, listen, I can't put up with this no more. And the other one said, man, just have patience with me. I'm changing. Well, they can't go so far. You have kids and you say, hey, listen, you're not, you're rebellious, you're stubborn. We're not going to put up with this anymore. Get out of here. And the kid says, man, mom and daddy, please just give me one more chance. Well, there's coming a day, friend, when that's over. But right now, he's saying, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. That word long-suffering means forbearing and patient. It means enduring. It means with a, a spirit of longing that you come unto him. Now, I want you to notice not only the wait, but I want you to notice his will. He said, I'm not willing that any should perish. That word perish means destroyed or damned or death. He says, I'm not willing that nobody dies. I'm not willing that nobody's damned. I'm not willing that nobody will be destroyed. I don't want nobody in hell. Hey, friend, I didn't prepare hell for anybody. I prepared it for the devil and his angels. But yes, I'm telling you, I am letting you know that I'm long-suffering with you this morning. I worry about the promise that's coming because it's coming, but you need to know the passion I've got for you, that I'm waiting on you. I'm long-suffering for you, that if you will know that I'm not willing, all I can do everything I can do that nobody dies and goes to hell nobody stands before judgment and nobody will be destroyed or ruined that's my passion nobody you say well then God can't send nobody to hell you got that right God's doing everything he can today to get you not going to hell God's doing everything he can today so that you could see that he's not wanting anybody to go to hell. And if you go there, it's because you want to go there. We find here this morning, not only the will, but I notice his want. I notice, I notice his waiting and I notice his will, but I notice his want. He said, but that all should come to repentance. That's what he wants. You say, well, what does God want from me? He wants you to repent. You mean God don't want my money? (laughs) No. God don't want my skill? God don't want my abilities? God don't want me to come to the church and work on it? God don't want me to come to the the church and and be a help? God God don't want all that I can bring? You know, I can bring a lot to the church. You could take all of that and can it. But what he does want is one thing. He wants you to repent. That's all. Just repent. That's all. So you say, if you're unsaved this morning, Christless, godless, and spiritless, what what do I need to do to get saved? Repent. Repent. Well, what does that mean, though? Well, let me tell you what it means. This is what God wants. It's God's desire is that you turn from your sin. That's what God wants. His desire is that you turn from your sin. Are you willing this morning to lay down your sin? Are you willing this morning to identify 
to identify the sin in your life, to identify the sin in your heart and in your mind, identify the sin in the secret soul, and are you willing today to lay it down? Are you willing to say, brother, I'm going to come to this altar right here and I'm going to lay down my sin. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to flee from my sin. I'm going to look the other way from my sin. I'm going to turn my back on my sin. I'm going to say no to my sin. I hate my sin. Oh, I'm disgusted with my sin. Oh, sin is sinful. Yeah. Turn. Turn. It's kind of crazy if I tell you, hey, I've got a cancerous cigarette. Would you smoke it? I got a cancerous cigarette. Here, take a puff. What would you do? You go, little circles. If I say to you, listen, I've got a can right here, and it kills your brain cells. They call it Bud Light, Michelob, slits, but it'll kill your brain cells. Won't you take a sip? Hey, I got some marijuana, and it looks like a cigarette. That marijuana, man. It'll put you in a mind. It'll take your mind and it'll cause you to be crazy. How many people do you know, friend, whenever they get into the gateway to other drugs, they start smoking marijuana and next thing you know, they're in a psychiatrist. (laughs) Our family's full of marijuana smokers. And all of them are nuts. All of them, friend, ain't got a good mind. All of them live, dear God, on the bottom. You want to, you want to, if I say that to you, would you take it? And I'm saying this to you this morning. Won't you take that sin that you have and won't you just decide to lay it down in order to be born again? Why don't you? God's waiting. We find here, what does it mean to repent? Number two, it's God's desire that you turn from sin, but it's God's delight that you take, that you trust in Jesus this morning. See, repentance is a twofold. It's a turning from sin, but it's a trusting in Savior. I turn from my sin, but I trust in Jesus. I lay down my sin, but I take up Jesus. Amen. I lay down wickedness, but I take up righteousness. Amen. I lay down hell, but I get heaven. Amen. Won't you do that this morning? Repent. Repent. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, it's my desire that you turn from your sin. It's my delight that you believe and trust in Jesus. It's God's determination that you take his salvation this morning. Come to repentance, the Bible says in verse 9. He said, all should come to repentance. You see that? And I'll close. Come to repentance. That just means this morning to come in to repentance. To pass over repentance. To enter in to repentance. Listen, Jesus is the Son, the Savior. Jesus will save you by His blood. Jesus' blood will give you salvation and the Spirit of God will indwell in you. But you've got to come into it. Amen. You sitting there and you not making no effort towards God and you not looking towards the Savior this morning will not get it done. You've got to come into repentance. You've got to step forward. You've got to make a move toward God. He ain't going to just come on you and grab you and say, okay, now you're saved. And he ain't going to come over here and say, okay, now, now your sins are forgiven, friend. No, uh-uh. Come into it. I'm begging you this morning, dear sinner friend, will you come unto repentance today? Why? Because there's a promise. This world is going to burn up. Is there a promise for real? Yeah. To God, it's only been two days. 
Won't you come? Stop being ignorant and become intelligent because God's intelligent. Let's stand to our feet, heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God's determined to save you before the judgment of God comes. Take your salvation this morning and turn and trust into Him. How about you this morning? Would you do that? Would you come? Would you come, dear friend? Would you come? Would you decide this morning to come unto repentance? I'm tired of where I'm at. I'm done with where I'm through. The world. You say, I believe. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that He controls the water and destroyed the earth by water. I believe He did that in Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. I believe that He cast down the angels who sinned. I believe that. But your behavior is not manifesting that behavior. Something's off. Something's missing. I love you. Won't you come to Jesus this morning? You sing, Brother George. Won't you come? Won't you come? Come, please. I beg you this morning. I'll plead with you. I wish today I could come get you. I wish today I could do something. Judgment's coming. Judgment day. Yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Amen. Well, I'll finish this tonight. If you come back to hear it, I'll do my very best to give it back to you. Brother Cat, will you dismiss this, my brother, here this morning? Yeah.
me. <laughs>